Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air via social distancing. I'm Kenyon Isaacson. This week's 3 to one Go with Cosmo Macero. Then Cosmo interviews John and Matt Priodal from River's Edge in Medford. And in two minutes with Tom, Tom and I catch up about the president and first lady and the coronavirus. First up, 3 to one Go. Hello and welcome to another edition of 321GO on OA on Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. Joining me here on 321GO is Kyanne Isaacson. Hello. Hello, the official voice of OA on Air. Hey, Kyanne. Hi, Cosmo. Quite a week as always, uh, or as as has been lately. Let's just jump right in because we are on the uh, uh, on the cusp, the morning after, the day after uh, the first presidential debate, uh, and uh, the way it was described by um, some of the analysts on uh, CNN and elsewhere, I, 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 it's it's not even appropriate for a family audience. They called it a bleep show. Uh, it was chaotic to say the least. It was like, oh gosh. I mean, that's really, it was so painful to watch. I think for everybody um, or for most people, I think that uh, a headline popped up on my phone last night. There was, it was like an embarrassment to, to the president, but it was an embarrassment to our country. Um, and, and it was, it was, it was hard to watch. Today we've heard from the Commission on Presidential Debates, that they are altering the rules and going to sort of change the dynamics based on what happened last night. I mean, good, but how sad is that? That that his, you know, sort of bullish and behavior has to be addressed at such a, it's, it's unbecoming. <laughs> good word. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised that people are surprised. I, you know, what did we expect? And I got to, I got to tell you, I don't, I don't think that, uh, I know that Joe Biden is, is declared the winner as a result of this. I think Joe Biden was, was not good. I think Joe Biden was not great last night, uh, in this thing. He could have, uh, uh, you know, he, 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 he conceded too much time uh, to, 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 to the president, I think by being polite, I think a little bit by being uh, taken off guard and shell-shocked, but he was not shocked, and uh, I, I think he gets away with that because Trump was, the president was so over the top, so outrageous, um, that, that, it, that it offset that, but I, I was not impressed by the Biden performance. I'm kind of getting beaten up a little bit on social media by people today saying I'm crazy, but um, that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. I I, I thought he was uh, not ready for prime time. I I don't think that Trump the Trump's behavior was surprising because it's it's in character. But I do think it was surprising at the level of you know just sort of boorishness that that we saw. I think to say that anybody won is really hard because that was not a debate. I mean, that is just not, we've been debating civilly for decades. Um, and that is just not what last night was. I do think what Joe Biden did that was important and necessary was he stayed calm. He was very much the grown up 
in the room. And that has been part of his argument is that we need a steady, calm hand um, to lead our country right now. And that is what he exhibited. He was able to keep a smile on his face. I think his smirk probably enraged Trump on multiple occasions. If you had taken the time to turn the audio down and watched, Trump's facial expressions were all over the place. You could tell when he was mad. You could tell when he was frustrated with what was being said, uh, when he felt like he was probably out of his comfort zone. Um, Biden kept a smile, uh, a bit of a smirk. He looked he looked amused from time to time, which in and of itself is, I think, really important and admirable because while he might not have been as strong and not as you know quick to come back sometimes, that is a hard situation. If you've ever been, you know, if you've ever been in a conversation with someone who's a bully like that, who's just not letting, it's hard to kind of get your feet under you. Um, so in those moments, he, you know, there was a couple times where I felt like I yelled things out that I would have liked to have heard uh, Joe Biden say. But I do think that overall, he was measured. He was calm. He looked like a grown up. His line and his message of the night consistently was, but you don't have a plan for it. And that's that's accurate on so many things. So in that regard, I do think he won. Um, but it, it wasn't a win that we are used to seeing from a debate. I think he won by being what we need, what we needed him to be, which is calm, measured, focused, and civil. Yeah, I, 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 I agree those things are true. I, I, I thought his smirk and his smile and his head shaking was more a, a you know a filling time because he wasn't prepared to respond. Um, in some cases, he, you know, he stumbled on a lot of responses. He missed a couple words. He 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 moved his lips while thinking to himself and things that I, in my opinion, you know, the camera's on you the entire ninety minutes, so you got to be aware of that. But maybe I'm just maybe those are just nitpicky things. I also just feel like you know he needed to take more more. More shots on net. I've been using this hockey analogy now for thirty for twenty four hours. <laughs> Trump just talked. He, he allowed Trump to talk too much. Now that's being polite and following the rules. Uh, I could have done with Joe breaking the rules himself a little bit, or at least not, you know, letting the president overwhelm the entire stage. But that's on Chris Wallace too, and I'm a big Chris Wallace fan. Uh, that was not a debate in control by the moderator at all. It wasn't, and I don't know who would have been able to. I think that's part of the other thing. You know, there was a lot of criticism of Chris Wallace and his his inability to exert control. And, you know, I saw a couple people comment and say, like, why isn't he saying, because, and he finally did. He finally interrupted and said, Mr. President, you know, you agreed to rules, and he walked through the whole thing. But that doesn't matter to Trump. That's the problem. Um, and... Uh, good luck to everyone that's coming. I, I I don't know how you control somebody who is uncontrollable. Um, I think that if you like if you like Trump before yesterday, you still like Trump today. Um, and if you didn't like Trump yesterday, you don't like Trump today. I, I don't know that there was a yeah, huge. I don't think you're right. I, I think you're right. It, it, it did. I don't think the needle has moved for it. I don't even. I don't believe. I don't believe in this eight percent. Undecided. I mean, it's like it's like being undecided as to whether you're a Red Sox or a Yankees fan. I mean, I, I still <laughs> like the, the contrast is very stark. 
yeah. But um, I don't know. We've got two more to go, and then the vice presidential debate coming up next week. So it is the debates this year. I don't know that they're going to be the most substantive we've ever seen, but they're something to watch. I feel that the vice presidential vice presidential debates kind of higher stakes than those normally are. I think uh, for people who might want some reassurance, again, not that they're, you know, not going to vote for Joe Biden, but I feel like she can provide some reassurance to people who are like, yeah, he's kind of wobbly. And she, she, she may have the ability to just, to just tool, you know, to just, you know, really tool on Pence and, 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 and turn the tables. I think that could be a valuable moment uh, uh, cementing their lead. Yeah, we've seen what uh, Kamala Harris can do on a debate stage, and I mean, her she can she can perform. Um, I think it's I think it's going to be really interesting. I think it's a lot of VP debates in other years. I think people haven't really tuned into, um, and there hasn't been as high of a level of interest. I don't think that's the case. I think people are excited to see uh, the VP debate next week. Yep, me too. All right, Cayenne. Thanks. All right, Cayenne, let's talk about mail-in ballots uh, and some um, significant news uh, about a large number of ballots that uh, did not wind up uh, being, but will not be processed as they should be, right? Yeah, 18,000 ballots uh, were rejected um, in Massachusetts from this month's state primary, which is, that's, that's not, not a small number. It's a big that's number. A that's a ton. <laughs> um, and roughly half because they arrived too late, which is a difficulty of, you know, is that the post office, you know, stumbling or is it people putting their ballot in the mail too late? I'm sure it's some combination of both. Um, I voted by mail and tracked it and it was received and, and counted. I, I checked it a couple of days before election day and then I checked it again after reading the Globe story today. Um, but that is frustrating. 18,000 is a very large number and 18,000 in a presidential debate is a staggering number. Um, so I would guess that they are working to address whatever issues uh, led to that so that we don't have that problem come yeah. November. I mean, I, I think, I, I believe it undermines um, confidence in uh, in the ability of uh, of us to process or, or, the, or the, you know, the, the, the ability of us of a, as, as a system to uh, have so much of a higher volume of mail-in ballots. The president, we were just in our last segment talking about on the debate, and one and one of the points he attacked on was the ballots, and he's certainly trying to di- already discredit the outcome in case he doesn't win. Um, mm-hmm. th- something like this doesn't help, and you know when there's a little bit of truth in something, you know I don't I'm I don't believe there's going to be widespread voter fraud. I do believe there can be and could be, and in this case was significant. You know. Uh, uh, ballot uh, hang-ups and voter uh, disenfranchising because they didn't get to where they're supposed to go, meaning they they weren't counted. And that's a problem. That's not fraud, but it's certainly a flaw in the system. And 
when you cast a ballot, whether it's by mail or otherwise, and it doesn't get counted, whoever's fault it was, then you you've been then you have not been able to exercise your uh, your, your right to vote. I don't want to say you've been denied. So that's a problem, and 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 it's and I think you know states are going to experience that, experience that uh, in this presidential election, and it's going to be uh, we have not heard the end of this. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's it's concerning for either side, really, um, because if you think about the people who are against mail in uh, voting, are 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 di- many are from a different are from one party versus those who are saying yes to mail-in voting from another. Republicans have historically not liked mail-in voting um, and tried, as we have seen, to portray it as a fraudulent system. Um, The idea that the people voting are probably, mail-in voting are probably more Democrat than Republicans, um, that should be a concern to the Democratic Party. So, uh, I don't know. It's it's not a perfect system. Um, I don't think anyone's expecting it to be perfect. 18,000 is a lot out of 1 million. Um, and hopefully they are addressing it and, and adjusting accordingly. Yeah. Mine, mine counted and I was very happy to see that. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely subject to more flaws, more problems, more issues just because it becomes a piece of mail and it, and it has to go through a whole process. But anyway, well, it's become a piece of mail in a U.S. postal system that uh, the president has been essentially trying to weaken um, in recent weeks and months. So, He's on the post office. yeah, there's there's a lot of layers here. Yeah, there is. There really is. All right. Thanks. All right, Cayenne, finally, um, I believe this week is, uh, is it National Podcast Week? It is International Podcast Day on September 30th. Oh, International Podcast Day. International Podcast Day. We have a podcast. We do have a podcast. Happy International Podcast Day to you. You too. It it could be accessed internationally. The the internet knows no boundaries. That's true. well, you know, it, it's uh, look, Pod, it, it, it's a, uh, it's a great, uh, it's a great little uh, observation and milestone. We're we're well past a hundred episodes of OA on air, which is very exciting. And I feel um, crazy to think about how we got this podcast started and off the ground. It was very much a organic grassroots effort um, within our office of some people with an idea and learning and adapting and i i would like to think getting better as we have gone <laughs> along in time and then we hit a pandemic and social distancing and we continue to keep it going despite all being on different coasts and, and different places um and we've been able to have a lot of fun with it we've been able to grow it we've had some really great guests on our podcast too and Look how far we've come, right? And here we are celebrating International Podcast Day. Agreed. You know, we we uh, I mean, um, we have scheduled non-episodes from time to time for one reason or the other, but we really were only forced to miss one episode as a result of the pandemic. We said, "Uh oh, well now what?" And then we sort of figured out a a platform that uh, that works, and and we kept it going. And um, it's uh. 
it's it's pretty cool. So yeah, I agree. International Podcast Day. Uh, I am observing by 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 recording this week's episode with you. By podcasting, yes. And for anyone who is interested in celebrating International Podcast Day, you know, give us a tweet. Please do. All right, Cayenne, another one of the books. Thank you very much. That's going to do it. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Three, Two, One, Go. Our program is recorded remotely in various locations across the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and nationwide. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. Okay, up next, we're joined by John Priottle and Matt Priottle of Priottle Lane and Associates, developers and operators of Rivers Edge in Medford. If you're familiar with the area of Medford, outside Wellington Circle, along the Malden River, you've probably driven by Rivers Edge, one of the most remarkable reclamation and development stories uh, that I've encountered in years. John and Matt, welcome to OA On Air. Thank you. Thank you, Cosmo. Okay, let's take our listeners back. Um, actually, let's start um, with an overview of, of where the project is today because it has a pretty amazing 10-year history um, uh, of which I, I'm familiar because uh, uh, we were involved in working with you on the project uh, way back when. But talk about River's Edge and, and all the components uh, that make up what is a, a pretty terrific community. Sure. As of today, we have two office buildings, about 230,000 square feet of office space and lab space, and around 500 apartment units, a mix of uh, studios, one bedroom, two bedroom, and three bedroom. The Tufts Boathouse, where they have regattas and row crew out of, and a 10-acre park, about a mile of jogging, biking paths, and a handful of retail operators, including The Porch, a southern restaurant, an entertainment venue and a free range market, which is a high end and ethnic grocery store. Those, um, those, those, those last two components you mentioned really have added to the sense of, of community there now, and, and, and certainly have also, uh, as we've all experienced the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, been through some, uh, some unique challenges, um, but, but, but I know they've really added to the sense of community, right? Yeah, that's correct. I think, uh, you know, as we, we've been at this a long time and, and one of, I think, the weaknesses of the project, at least in my perception, uh, was you just, you came here to work and, you, and then you left or you lived here and you, you left to work or, or to, to play. And so we wanted to create some draw for, for the people that lived here, also other folks to get them to the site. And I think it's worked pretty well. The restaurant has has an outdoor patio that's on a Thursday, maybe not right now, but uh, before COVID would, would be fairly hopping. Yes. You mentioned the park, um, Matt. I want to talk about that a little bit, and then just kind of segue backwards in time a bit to the origins of the project and even before that. Um, but the park at River's Edge is really just a, a, a tremendous community resource, a wonderful amenity, not just for those who live and work there, uh, but everyone in the neighborhood, in the, in the community, and in, in all the uh, areas around River's Edge. Um, John, can you talk about the thinking and the planning that went into creating that? 
which is I as I recall, was, was the first component of the entire project, even before, uh, you know, even one, even before one piece of uh, uh, steel or construction material went up on any of the buildings. Yes. Um, well, the project, as you may, as you may recall, was an urban renewal project. And there was a, and, and, and there was a concept and the concept included some open space and a park. And we um, sort of took that concept and working with some community groups and Shadley and Associates um, developed something that we thought would really not not only add to the communities, but would also um, be a draw for prospective office tenants. And that's that's how the park was initially developed. Uh, the Malden River at that time was largely forgotten. Many people didn't even know a river existed here. And I think that that helped us get off on a pretty good start. Now, the first building that was built in the, this project was now about 15 years old was the Tufts Boathouse. And Tufts had been brought to the Malden River by a fellow at Combined Properties, Chris Maeta, and they were rowing on the Malden River and they were looking for a permanent home. Uh, they were unable to complete an arrangement with them and approached us and some others. And we thought it would be a you know, sort of a wonderful addition to the project. And as part of the development of the boathouse, we built a section of the park and then kind of quickly realized that we should go forward and complete the entire park. One, as I said, it would help attract future tenants and two, um, it, it really added to the credibility. I mean, once people saw that we were building the park, I think attitudes changed completely and everyone was sort of working with us to solve the, the problem or to meet the objective of how do we make this a great project? Yeah. So that was, that was fun. That was it, fun it, and that was pretty interesting. It's a great concept in community relations, right? Every developer, you make promises. Oh, we, you know, we promise we're going to do this. this well, you know, if you fulfill the promises first, um, th that that is a really unique and and refreshing approach to community relations and, and how to do a project. I think that went a long way, sure. And I know on projects like this, people talk about activating a site and, and those things, uh, the boathouse, uh, you know, and, and, and the park. Yeah, they activate, and uh, it, it wasn't just a cleanup. It, it was really just establishing a whole, uh, a whole new, you know, way of experiencing that 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 part of the river. I think that's correct. Yeah, I, th I think that's correct. And yeah, not to repeat what I said earlier, but once we really got the park, once the park was underway, um, you know, there were a lot of permitting authorities involved from. The Chapter 91 folks, uh, uh, DEP, the Army Corps of Engineers, and others. And believe it or not, they all sort of became part of the team. Yeah. And they would, you know, people would call with ideas and say, have you thought of this? And these weren't criticisms. These were ways to try to improve the project. It was, it was fun. Yeah. Um, preceding... Uh, the the thinking and the development and the planning that went into River's Edge for years that had been um, uh, a concept, a proposal for something called Telecom City, uh, you know, an idea to build around that industry, the telecom industry. I, I, 
I guess the the economy and and the evolution of things in that business just kind of either outran the idea or the other way around. But it, it just that didn't come together, and, and that created the opportunity for for Rivers Edge. What are some of or what were the the biggest hurdles or challenges that you encountered initially at the start, uh, and maybe some things that continue to be challenging. Okay. We, yes, as you pointed out, initially it was going to be Telecom City. And, you know, we thought that was an interesting concept. Our fallback always was that we had a 30-acre site on the river, close to public transportation, close to Cambridge, close to Boston. And even if the Telecom City concept did not prove successful, we had, we had what would be a, a very good real estate de- opportunity and development. And as you, as you said, with what happened with Telecom City, it, frankly, it was an interesting concept, the telecommunications world, and it, it sort of got overbuilt very quickly. It, um, what is happening today is probably what people thought might have happened 20 years ago. And one reason that uh, the tele- telecom city did have a, the name itself did have some presence, but that market had become so depressed when anyone would, when you, when one would talk to anybody about telecom city, if you had five minutes to talk to them, they'd want to spend four minutes talking about how, how beaten the industry was. So we said, hmm, this is, this is probably not a good situation. And the name, the name was changed. Uh, so that was that was that was that thinking, which uh, was still, you know, was still. I don't know. I, I think was not a bad concept, but maybe maybe a little ambitious. And that was the Urban Renewal Authority's concept. And again, possibly, you know, possibly a little ambitious at the time. Um, the hurdles. This is this project, besides being a brownfield project, involved. As I recall, I think there were um, 18 different parcels and 12 or 13 landowners, all of which had to be assembled and acquired. And that's that's one thing um, the Mystic Valley Development Commission, the, the Urban Renewal Authority, to which I to which I referred earlier, that was their responsibility. Now they had eminent domain capabilities. Maybe with one or two exceptions, all the takings were consensual. But they did have the ability to take the site and assembly the, assemble the site, but that took years. I think from the time we first got involved, it was four years before the site was assembled, and another four years before the existing tenants were relocated. So you had eight years of permitting and planning and expenditures uh, before you could really begin construction. And our we were concerned that we should not begin the first building until the site was fully assembled. Uh, one, one reason, as I mentioned, that we were excited about this project initially was it was 30 acres on the river, and we thought, done well, we could really create an environment. The fear was if you, if you built the first building and the balance hadn't been assembled, uh, there's, there was a chance it might not be acquired, in which case you might have a an interesting building next to um, you know fifty old fifty year old industrial built, which uh, wouldn't help you. 
Sure. Okay, we're talking to John and Matt Priato of Priato Lane and Associates, developers and owners of Rivers Edge in Medford. Matt, it's a it's a challenging time, uh, or at least it, 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 it is becoming one uh, in, in commercial real estate, uh, or at least an unsettling time as office tenants really reimagine re and rethink what the future of, uh, of their occupancy should be. Um, at Rivers Edge, you've got 200 Rivers Edge Drive and 400 Rivers Edge Drive, known as buildings 200 and 400. And yet, more recently, or specifically at 400 Rivers Edge Drive, you, you've had some real success with um, major tenant announcements. Yeah, that's that's correct. I think uh, you know I I started working in earnest on this project in 2009, which was coming off the heels of another troubling time. I'd say the, coming out of the 2007 recession, we we opened 200 at probably the worst possible time. Uh, it took quite a while, a bit longer than we had hoped to lease up. But what we found is that as as the market softens and and people have more options we're in a good position because the buildings are brand new. They're, they're of great quality. They're lead gold uh, and they're very efficient, but, and very environmentally friendly. So I think some of those attributes will, will play well today as tenants, you know, look to move out of older buildings. Uh, airflow in space is, is a very real and common concern right now. And we're well equipped to deal with that. And we also just have a ton of open space. I yeah. think, you know, I think people are are nervous about being in cities. Um, public transportation, I think, will make people nervous for quite a while after this. So our access to public transportation may not help us, but we have a lot of parking and there's a huge park outside. So um, we've seen people, uh, you know, come back slowly to, to the buildings, but we feel that you know, as everyone tries to navigate this and no one knows what's going to happen in tomorrow, let alone in three months, I think we're fairly well positioned to deal with some of the concerns that people have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, if, if you want to experience uh, the outdoors a bit and, and, and break free of your, um, your respective uh, remote, uh, uh, you know, uh, existence uh, or, you know, isolating in your home, probably the best place in the in the area to social distance and, and, and enjoy uh, uh, the you know some some, some out, outdoor space so uh, that's definitely a benefit um, just briefly talk about the relationship with your residences because it's a little unique you you all operate and manage um, I guess what you describe as the the amenities that support those things uh, you know uh, wonderful and expansive uh, parking facility, as well as uh, uh, the space that uh, contains the porch and the cafe and free range. But you've got relationships um, uh, with uh, with uh, uh, residential uh, multifamily uh, developers who who own the apartment space. Correct. That's yeah. correct. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Is that is that. Initially, that was Criterion Partners, and is that is there a new partnership now? Or yeah, what when we when the first residential building was built, which is about two hundred and twenty apartments, we were looking for a 
sort of a third party partner developer to undertake that building. Now we have done some housing in the past, but our sense was to sell that site and use the equity from the sale on the rest of the project. And we ended up talking with Criterion and three other groups, and two of which ended up later on building, or the principals of those groups ended up building um, residential buildings nearby. So I don't know if the experience here caused them to undertake some due diligence and they decided they liked what they saw or if they would have been here in any event. But all the groups were, were pretty um, were very well qualified. Uh, we selected Criterion in part because they seemed the most excited about the project. Candidly, the pricing was all pretty similar. And they seemed to be have the flexibility to deal with what we foresaw as some um, unusual future situations. As, as one well-known local contractor told us, uh, he said, you know, that when we were asking him his opinion among these four, he said, you know, this project is rather complex, except he didn't use the word complex. Uh, the, the word he used, um, we, we can't repeat in this forum. And he said, I think Criterion would be the best. He said, the other people will just, they may just shake their head and say, no, no, this is, this is how we handle things. But Criterion will have the ability to deal with the issues. So Criterion built the first building, uh, the first residential building. It was a success. Uh, as Matt pointed out, that construction began about the same time as the, the first office building. It, was, it turned out to be a very tough time. They did hold quality. One of the concerns I had was, well, will they start to reduce quality? Because, and they did not. Um, and then upon completion and leasing, they sold to an institution. That's, their, that's sort of their MO. And uh, currently, uh, this is the second institutional owner. John Hancock owns that building or a partnership run by John Hancock. The second residential building was constructed on what had been a surface parking lot. And there, that was more complex because of the need to move parking from area to area during construction. The fact that there were other buildings already existing on the site. And we thought Criterion would be ideal. We did not talk to anyone else. We simply negotiated an arrangement with them. And they went forward and built the building and then sold their interest to their institutional partner. So that, that building also is owned by an institution. So we, at this stage, we own the office buildings. Tufts owns the boathouse, although we own the land beneath it in the park, and we own the uh, office buildings. Okay. Look, as we wrap up, just want to touch base again on, on, on the impact of COVID-19. We certainly know it's impacted, uh, and, you've, and you've done a, a really nice job in supporting your tenants and getting through it, uh, uh, the porch and free range. But, uh, you know, what, looking ahead, um, what adjustments do you think you have to make or will you have to make? And, uh, uh, is it going to significantly alter your, your operations, your business model, or is it just, uh, is it just, you know, uh, not to minimize it cause, uh, it, it's a, it's a major, uh, you know, black swan event, but is it really just getting through it 
and and then staying with uh, with your plans for uh, for the site. I think it is getting through it. It's it's a huge event. Uh, we've obviously felt a lot of ripple effects in different tenants. Um, not a lot have reoccupied their space. At least at this project, it's it's very quiet. Um, you know, we've done all the same things that I think every white paper and every commercial landlord in the country has done, where we've increased cleaning. Uh, we only have four stories in these buildings. A lot of people use a stairwell. We've turned one into an up stairwell, one into a down stairwell. Uh, you know, a lot of the tenants have their own procedures once they enter their space, but everyone that works for us takes their temperature every morning. And I think that's just going to be the status quo for a while. I, you know, I think once people start to come back, you know, they've, it started as we'll be back in June and we'll be back in July. And now folks are saying January. I don't know at this point how realistic that is, but, you know, we're basically ready. As I said earlier, the buildings are extremely efficient in with an airflow perspective. We bring in a ton of fresh air already with our rooftop units. And right now, I think that cleaning and Airflow are the two most important items in office buildings, and we're pretty well equipped to handle it. And with the exception of some increased cleaning regiments, we, we were already doing it anyway. Um, so we're just, you know, we're eager for people to get back. It's, it's uh, lonely and uh, just kind of surreal to walk through a building where the population was 450 people. And now on a given day, there are maybe 20 people here. Sure. Okay. Yeah. All right, John and Matt Priotto, thanks so much for joining us on OA On Air. Great conversation and uh, just uh, uh, quite a, um, uh, an amazing and wonderful project uh, and uh, uh, a real resource and a real uh, uh, benefit to the community there in, uh, in Medford and the Medford Malden area. Thanks, Cosmo. Thank we, you. Wish we could have done it in person, but we'll take <laughs> it. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Yeah. All right. Hi, Cayenne. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm doing fine, dear. Two minutes with Tom. Two minutes with Tom. You got it right. right finally. Finally, <laughs> after 110 weeks, I have <laughs> Yep, I'm a, I'm a very quick study. Anyway. Practice nice, makes Nice to talk to you. It, it's raining where I am. What's it doing where you are? It's sunny. It's lovely. It's sunny. Yes. Well, I must say that the uh, leaves are turning, and it's uh, quite beautiful. Uh, that I am a little bit jealous of. We're talking today, I would assume, about uh, President uh, contracting COVID-19 along with the First Lady, Melania. Yes. Uh, very difficult, it's difficult news. It's difficult news. It was reported at 1 o'clock this morning, uh, Friday morning. And um, I only hope that uh, he's okay and that she's all right. Um, I know he's been seeing an awful lot of people. I think it's really ironic that he has it, to be very honest with you. And as, as bad as I feel for him as a president of the United States getting this disease, um, I'm not surprised that he has it, given all the travel and all the interaction with people that he has uh, during the course of this and th this campaign year. And uh, well, I hope, he's, I hope he gets better. But uh, it, it's not it's not good. It's not good for... You know, it's not good for our politics. It's not good for our political season. It's not good for 
the leader of the free world um, to get this. It's not good internationally from a political perspective. It's not good for our markets. Mm-hmm. Just simply not good. And um, it's too bad that he has it. And I only hope that there's a quick, a quick and steady recovery and we get back to the campaign at hand. Yeah, I think we've seen, to your point, he has had, for lack of, you know, another word, a, a bit of a laissez-faire attitude uh, towards the coronavirus from the mm-hmm. beginning. Um, and, you know, estimated, underestimated its severity publicly while sort of knowing how serious it was, but really publicly facing has not taken it very seriously. So That's to your exactly point, right. it's not surprising if somebody's not taking it seriously that they would contract something that is, as we know, highly contagious. Um, I think it's certainly concerning for, to your point, the amount of people he has been in contact with in recent days. Uh, that's a little disconcerting. Um, and, you know, for the, all of the, I will say there are people who are kind of laughing or making a joke or, or you know, saying kind of really uh, inappropriate things about the fact that the president and first lady have contracted COVID-19. You know, this is, if you take this virus seriously, it's nothing to laugh about. Um, whether you think he is a good person or not, there's, you know, there we've, we've got to express some civility and continued social decency um, because this is, this is not a joke and it shouldn't be treated as such. That's right. That's exactly right. So it's not a time to be light. It's, it's a time to be, you know, heavy hearted and understanding that this is a very difficult disease. I mean, he's, He's trying to say, look, uh, we, we can't blank out the economy completely. We have to kind of get back to work. And I think everybody agrees with that. But you just can't stare a disease in the face and expect not to have it con- contracted and, and caught by numbers of people to create a continued spike or a new second spike. Here in Massachusetts, you know, we, we were on the infectious rate, we were below 1%. Now we're back up to 3.7%. We were at 100, uh, 100 plus, you know, uh, people getting the virus on a daily basis. Now we're up at 700. Uh, we were down to one, two, three, four, five people dying overnight. We're back up to the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Um, and so people are getting exactly that laissez-faire, saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being cooped up in my house. I need to get out. I need to be familiar with people. I need to, you know, I need to, I need to have community. And, um, you know, and, and if people aren't, you know, aren't paying attention, if they aren't keeping their distance, if they're not washing their hands, if they're not wearing a mask, uh, if, if they're, you know, not cleaning things the way they should be, we're going to have a problem on a continued basis. Um, and I would only hope that, uh, I would only hope that in this beginning of the flu season, everybody has had an opportunity to go get a flu shot. And take the CDC's cautionary note. Look, if you get the flu and the virus, it's it's just that much worse. So, you know, I hope everybody is 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 taking the lead in getting that flu shot in in, in the beginning of the flu season. And anyway. the impact potentially it would have, you know, if we have a, a bad flu season paired with this virus, the impact it would have on our healthcare system, um, you know, is certainly something that's really concerning. So Absolutely. to that point. Go get your flu shot, keep your social distance, wear a mask. And, um, you know, it should go without saying, but in case it doesn't, of course, uh, hopes for a, a speedy recovery and, um, you know, limited level of illness uh, to the president and the first lady. 
Well, as a potty note, he sure does know how to stay in the news. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but with the virus, with the virus and everything else we're thinking about, there will be cayenne a part of the day. Thanks so much. Good to talk to you. Thanks. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air via social distancing. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week.